Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening, friends. Welcome to another edition of The Front Row. Summer style once more. Tom and Keith with you. And KJ, I got to confess, I'm getting a little tired of coming here dressed for work and you come in rolling in from the beach as per usual, Speedo and all. Well, I got to confess, too. I'm tired of my chair being smaller and shorter than yours. (laughs) I thought you would have talked to somebody about that, but (laughs) apparently not. You can't get anybody's attention when you're wearing shorts. Well, there you go. Keith Jones is uh, right back from the beach again, and uh, hopefully he's been reading Phil Steele's college football preview while working on that tan, because Phil's going to join us uh, later on. This guy knows more about college football than about anybody. Well, if I remember to ask him, I have one key question to ask him that would help me in the reading of that magazine. So let's see if our listeners will stay with us and figure out what that question might be. Yeah, I can. I can. No, don't even go there. I can make a guess. Uh, what you know, an interesting thing, and uh, we look forward to this conversation with Phil. Um, you would you would make the assumption, and we're gonna have to set this up to do it right. You'd make the assumption that someone with the breadth of knowledge that he has for college football goes to a lot of games in person, but the reality is, he spends what is it, probably five a.m. till midnight every day of the year, leading up to when the magazine comes out. Uh, hunkered up in his house in his basement looking at tape and assessing and crunching numbers and all that and then his off season if you will is after the magazine hit stands and so june july and august he only works like 60 hours a week or something like that but uh bottom line he has not uh, and this is his admission has not been in attendance for a college football game in person since 1981 and i can attest it was, that's a long time <laughs> if i'd have said 1980 it might have been one of your games exactly Exactly. But I, I say that, I, I did want to set that up. That is uh, not to discredit the work he does. In fact, it's really the opposite because he's not distracted by anything that might distract you at a game. He's still crunching numbers while you're at the game or having a cocktail afterwards or whatever. He sinks that much time into it. So we look forward to that conversation with Phil. Tim Linefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us as well. Uh, there's actually a decent amount of things happening involving Florida State uh, athletics right now, considering we're just out of 4th of July, one being that this being an Olympic year, uh, Florida State's making an awful lot of noise on on that front. And uh, congratulations to Marvin Bracey, who has made the U.S. Uh, Olympic team, former footballer, if you will, as a sprinter in the most glamorous, if you will, of the track and field events. He's going in the 100-meter dash. Uh, he did finish third in qualifying, and uh, the two boys, two gentlemen in, in, ahead of him, uh, obviously had faster times. But uh, the thing about the 100 meters is you just never know. If you run the perfect race, at the perfect time, uh, you can be crowned the world's uh, fastest uh, human. And uh, certainly he'll be amongst the players there. And with uh, Usain Bolt, um, wherever he is on that hamstring injury, uh, I mean, maybe we'll get an update during the ball game. I don't, or during the uh, the telecast here, uh, broadcast here. Whatever I, I don't know. Ball game, whatever telecast. we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Whatever we're doing. Show. Here. What do you, I mean? What, what, whatever we're doing here in my short. Did you bring an umbrella drink with you? Is that what the issue is? Uh, no, there's one waiting for me. That's what the issue is. Well, uh, anyway, kudos to Marvin Bracey, and uh, this is going to be a really successful year for Florida State in terms of of quantity of. Uh, current or former florida state athletes that uh, make the olympic team and it's not just track and field they're swimming uh, there's a couple of women's basketball players who may be in there beach volleyball so florida state's got some representation there also on the baseball front and i know we're post baseball season but uh, we've and we'll ask tim about this we discussed i think last week that it seems like fsu has more players in the cape which is a good thing, and they, then I can recall. I don't know if that's a factor. It just feels like they have more there. And then, lo and behold, two guys are now on Team USA. So, I mean, they've done one better than the Cape, and that's Taylor Walls and Cole Sands, which uh, it's a collegiate national team. It's basically a collegiate all-star team that they're both on. And all the years that you've broadcast baseball and all the years that I've watched baseball, I think the 2015, uh, 2016 season, that team, uh, I think it's a fair assessment, improvement overall, individuals from day one, to the last day of the season probably more improvement in this 2016 team during the course of the year than i've ever seen on a team uh, that martin's had yeah i'd have to sit back and assess it but the, but certainly and that had to do with uh, a lot of new faces and freshmen in the in the rotation and you know what that turns into is next year 
And again, I'd have to sit back and think about it. Off the top of my head, it's going to be the best team they've had coming back since 2012, which is a team that went to Omaha. But honestly, if you went position by position, you might go back further than that to say, okay, they've got this many guys coming back plus their whole starting rotation. Uh, We don't need to get too far into this, but in 2012, they had Sherman Johnson and, and Jace Boyd and Ramsey and those guys coming back. I don't recall offhand, you know, position for position. Any bottom line. It's going to be a well-thought-of team going into the, the 2017 campaign for uh, for FSU baseball. Other news from uh, Florida State Athletics is that uh, Stan Wilcox uh, received an extension and a promotion to to vice president of, of intercollegiate athletics and don't, at FSU. don't underestimate that. I mean, obviously, Florida State uh, University is a bureaucracy by definition because it's so big. But there's certain things that, that happen within a bureaucracy that we on the outside may not judge as being significant, but within the structure, it's very significant. And, and when you move your athletic director from a directorship to a vice president, uh, that's a significant thing within the the, the uh, hierarchy. Hierarchy. Thank you of of the university, and and um, very well deserved, earned, not given. And uh, I'm happy for Stan. I, he's he's very quiet. Uh, there was an article in the paper recently, and he you know he's not a cheerleader. He's not, he doesn't like being out front. He's a behind the scenes guy. He'll step forward when he needs to. Uh, but when you look at what uh, the, that department is doing and is accomplishing and things moving forward, um, great leadership uh, has been rewarded and uh, and earned. And uh, hats off to Stan and his staff. He's now signed through 2020. And I'll just make one slight amendment. He is a cheerleader and that he and Ramona go to uh, an awful yes, lot. Yes, I'm of sorry. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about in terms of press conferences, right, tooting right. his own horn and, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, so he's uh, signed through 2020. What else do we have on the Florida State landscape for starters? Uh, well, we talked, we'll talk Olympics and uh, then we got baseball and then we got Stan and then we got... Well, then we got awful lot of college football talk today. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are going to do that. Yeah, a little bit of college football talk with Phil Steele and with Tim, and the watch lists are coming out. The more and more you think about this season as it draws closer, I feel like this is going to work out well for Florida State, but you just never know, and that is the quarterback question. And I know that the quarterbacks always get too much blame, too much glory, yada, 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 yada. When you look at what Florida State returns, it really does shape up as a season that if the quarterback play is better this year than what it was last year. This has a chance to be a special team for FSU. And I would agree. And uh, obviously, as we get closer to uh, kick, uh, you and I will have our conversations about how that quarterback position should work its way out uh, to the degree to whatever uh, decisions are made as to who goes one, who goes two. I'm suspecting we'll uh, probably disagree or at least be slightly different in our approaches. And and it won't matter because Jimbo's going to do what he wants to do anyway. But it will make for good conversation between us. Well, let's debate this then right now real quick on Dalvin Cook my thought going into this year based on more balance on this offense more weapons more seasoned players an emergence of a tight end emergence of a big receiver plus the three diminutive guys are all back uh, well I guess I just lumped Rudolph in with with Bobo and Kermit which Rudolph is he'll just play on his knees right he, he is a little bit bigger than those guys I think this is a year where Dalvin Cook has a higher yards per attempt average but lower yards per game or lower total yards than what he had last year which maybe that doesn't unfold that way the bottom line is Jimbo doesn't want to use him 25 touches a game which really you had to do last year and so if you think about 15 to 18 touches for Dalvin the overall numbers are down but the highlight plays are up and that offense uh, is more efficient I I wholeheartedly agree I mean I think if I think if you if you say that Dalvin Cook is going to average 26 touches a game then Florida State loses about four games in 2016. If he averages about 15 to 18, maybe 20 touches a game, then Florida State very well playing for the national championship. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Of course, the downside of that, you'll take the national championship. The downside would be he won't put up the numbers to win the Heisman, potentially. We'll see. Touchdowns could inflate that, obviously, and and, and big plays. A few of those 80, made. 85 yarders would help as At well. At key times, too, would, would do it. He's had a few of those in his career. All right, we will uh, be joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, uh, in just a mere matter of moments. I do need to point out that, uh, as always, Madison Social is a big part of this show. I have not been there yet this week, but I'm going to because they do a special grilled cheese every week. Lasagna grilled cheese this week. With my affinity for red sauce, I'm going to have to give that a try. I have two. Well, I don't, I, I don't need one, but I'll probably have that before the week is done. Anyway, head on out to Madison Social. Uh, also, this is up your alley with your umbrella drinks. Booze snowballs uh, this Saturday at Madison Social. Is it snowing? 
No, it's not snowing. They're combining with Big Easy Snowballs, which those of us that have young kids, see, you have grandkids. You should be taking your kids to Big Easy Snowballs. But anyway, they're going to bring them over to Madison Social and, and make them adult snowballs. Oh. All right. We'll get to uh, Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, right after this. Stay with us. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to the front row, a jam-packed show as always. Time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. Seminoles.com is the most comprehensive. Uh, place to go or, or provides the most comprehensive coverage of FSU athletics. Right now, you can keep track of uh, Noel Olympians, and that list is growing by the day. We'll welcome Tim Linnefeld to the program and talk about that in greater detail in just a, a little bit. But uh, first, the important stuff, Tim. Most important stuff. It is officially watch list season for college football. Today, Ryan Izzo makes the list for the Mackey Award. Dalvin Cook on a list yesterday. I mean, there's a list pretty much from now until August 1st, isn't there? Yeah, it, it, it kind of sneaks up on you, and really, more than anything, I think watch list season is the, is the sign that the college football season is getting close. We got Mackey Award watch list, Remington watch list, All America, the All America preseason All America list coming out. Um, we, we, we had the Maxwell. I think we had three guys: uh, Maxwell, Ben Merrick, uh, all, all kinds of them, and even some that, I, that I've never heard of. I think they come up with new awards just about every other year but uh but it's exciting certainly for Florida State that so many guys recognize and uh and duly so yeah well and I, I wanted to expand this a little bit there's not officially a media watch list of any sort Tim but I want to lean on your expertise here let's just go with the Florida State beat and maybe if you want to throw in some national or regional folks that uh listeners would recognize um we'll start with this I'll, I'll go on the good side before we get to the negative okay. Who, who's on the best dressed media watch list from the Florida State beat Oh gosh! Wow. Uh, you know that's tough. Um, you know my buddy Jared Shanker, who uh, who writes for ESPN, he's always pretty sharp. He, uh, he he used to come like in a suit and tie every day, especially when he was starting out. I think he's trying to impress me. Um, but uh, but yeah, he, he he's probably the top on that list. I think. Okay. All right. Florida State beat. Who's on the watch list for taking the longest amount of time to ask a question? Oh wow. Okay. Uh, you may or may not appreciate this, but uh, my buddy Ryan S. Clark at Warchant, he can he can get uh, he can spin some yarn. I thought you were going to say me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> you're, you're my second choice. Okay, uh, most likely to complain about something, be it the press box food, the parking situation, or the temperature, the Wi-Fi, the view, any of that type stuff. Uh, I'll complain about the temperature because I'm always freezing. Uh, but other than that, boy, I don't know if we have enough time in this segment to, to list the, uh, the top complainers. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty expensive list. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's on the watch list. If they don't even do a watch list, just if you're in the sports media, you're on that list. Uh, yeah, all right. Much, how, yeah. how about most likely to go through the food line twice? Ooh, gosh, it depends on the day. If, uh, if, if it's good stuff, then just about everybody does. Well, that that is true. You're, Keith, ju- you're just uh, he's playing it very politically. Exactly, he is dodging. He is dodging, Tommy. He's dodging. Well, let me ask you this then, Tim. So, since you're being very politically correct here, I mean, I know it's a tight circle. What watch list category should we have for for the FSU beat? Uh, I, I really like the uh, the long winded question one. That's a good one. Uh, who's going Who's going to get in the first question in any press conference setting? That's a that's a, that's a good one. And who's on that list? Well, uh, that's probably uh, again my buddy Ryan over at Washington. He uh, he likes to leave things off, so uh, so that's that's two there. Yeah. Well, see, and this is how we pass the time in July. Well, well yeah, no, yeah, here's, uh, my, Gary, here's, uh, my, here's Gary my Smith watch in Jacksonville. List. If, if he's in town and he isn't always, but Gary Smith in town from Jacksonville, there's a good bet that he's going to try to get that first question in, which can lead to some fireworks in these press conference settings. Well, that, that's along the lines of my watch list. Who is going to be the first one to? Try to talk to a coordinator without getting Jimbo's permission. Can uh, Can Brent Callistat come out of retirement? <laughs> yeah, that, that's that was, who the award is named club. after. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we've gone uh, very inside baseball here with this, since not all yeah. of our listeners uh, personally know these folks. But uh, I, I appreciate you playing along there. I appreciate you playing along. So then uh, going back to the, uh, I hate to use the phrase, more serious watch list, but the actual 
in existence watch list for college football of the guys from Florida State where that were named this week, which includes Cook and for the Maxwell and uh, Derwin James and, and Demarcus Walker for the Bedneric and now Izzo today for the Mackey. This is a pretty obvious question, but uh, who's the most likely to, to actually win that award? Uh, you you got to think that Dalvin Cook's got a, a, a pretty good chance, but uh, but honestly, uh, you know, given that the Maxwell can go to so many different players from different positions, I, I think you know, Derwin James. Uh, on the Bednarik is actually probably a pretty uh, a pretty good uh, good place to look, uh, just because I mean he just has so much hype around him uh, and, and deserved hype. I mean, you got people out there saying he's the best defender in college football already, and, and it's kind of hard to to make an argument against that. So if I had to pick one, uh, I wouldn't go against Derwin James uh, really for anything that he's up for, uh, and that's with all due respect to Dalvin Cook, who I think is going to have a spectacular year and, and probably a, a pretty full trophy case by the end of it as well. I think the sleeper in all that group, though, uh, and we've talked about him on this show, is, is Izzo, uh, particularly if Florida State can find some success with him early in the year uh, because uh, I just think he's poised uh, to do something pretty special if he stays healthy and uh, they get the ball to him enough. I agree, and, and I think a lot of folks are, are pretty bullish uh, on Ryan, but, but me especially, I think he's going to have a, a really, really big year. You can kind of see flashes of it last last season, and when you just look at him and, and how he's built uh, physically, he kind of lines up with with your idea of what a modern tight end is supposed to look like. You know, he's he's big, he's strong, he's quick, he can block, uh, but he's got some really nice athleticism to him as well. And you know, I had actually even said, and this is a, a long way, but if he has uh, the kind of year that I think he could have, it's not completely unfathomable to me. This could be his last season in Tallahassee, and I'm not predicting that he's going to leave, but I, that's just kind of how much I think of him. I think he's a, a really, really nice player, and that if he continues to progress, uh, could have a professional future. I, I agree, and, and one thing you left out of his repertoire that you wouldn't necessarily think of is you can split him out. You can stand him up, split him out, and he can do fine in the slot. Uh, he's He's got that much quickness. Uh, he's not going to burn anybody down the field, but uh, he can make a cut or two and, and, and get open five, seven yards down the field. That'd be really something, wouldn't it, for uh, for all the the, the history or, or lack thereof uh, at the tight end position for Florida State over the last you know seventy seven or so years to potentially have two Mackey Award winners in three years would be pretty remarkable, wouldn't it? Though, yeah, I mean, how many, how long have we gone with the when is Florida State going to throw to the tight end question? That was the mantra of the nineties. Well, not to be confused with when is the Florida State going to cover the tight end, well, which was the mantra of the eighties. Well, and also the nineties, and unfortunately, <laughs> it spilled over into the early two thousands too. I think. Hey, I don't know. You know, speaking of Mackey Award winners, Nick O'Leary had a famous grandfather. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. What did he was he an athlete? He was a well. He was he's a not golfer, necessarily considered an athlete, but he was pretty darn good at his sport. <laughs> hey, just a footnote on this awards conversation. I thought it was interesting when I looked at this. First of all, in in terms of the Bidneric, FSU's never had an award winner. I think that award came along post Marvin Jones and Derek Brooks, so they weren't in contention, and post Dion and Buckley, for that matter. Uh, and the only Maxwell Award winner FSU has had is Charlie Ward because Winky and Jameis Winston did not win that award. Jameis's good friend A.J. McCarron won it the year that uh, Jameis won the Heisman. And, and that just looks better and better in hindsight, doesn't it? it uh, yeah, exactly. All right, let's, let's stick with football, sort of, because uh, we knew that he was really, really fast. I'm not sure that the Vegas odds that we would have taken them that he was going to make the Olympic team, but Marvin Bracey, who quit the FSU football team and track program a few years ago to turn professional, uh, qualifies and is headed to Rio, which that's a whole other side conversation. But uh, congratulations to him. I mean, that is a little bit of a surprise and a nice story for Bracey to make it in the 100-meter dash. Yeah, it is really cool. And at a really fast time, I think he was I think it was 9.98, I would say, his second or third in the uh, the Olympic trials. and. And yeah, you, I mean, you knew he was really quick. I know that. Uh, I remember when he turned pro. I went out to the track and, and talked to uh, to Bob Brayman, who's the head coach out there, and, and he kind of said, you know, look, we're going to miss him, but but you could tell he didn't think that Marvin was making the wrong decision. You know what I mean? Uh, he, he'd be would be a great asset for for Florida State's track program, and, and of course the football team, which is who he originally signed with. But you know, he had the stuff to to go turn pro and and uh, and make a run at this, and so. Yeah, a few years later, uh, you know, you love to see uh, a kid, anybody's decision like that, that, that it works out for him. And so, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool uh, for Marvin. And, and to be able to compete, I mean, the you know, the 100-beater the at the, the Olympics is one of the really the marquee sporting events, certainly the Olympics in, in, in the world, really. I mean, that's just really, really exciting stuff. So to well, be and right now, day, Usain has, cool has a pulled hamstring. So uh, the defending champion. Uh, well, he's trying to get in on appeal. Yeah. And, he, you know, where where is he and how is that going to work out? <laughs> 
we won't ask you to analyze how the uh, Olympics behind the scenes functions because that's sort of a mess, Tim. So we won't we won't pin that on you. Uh, Walter Dick, speaking of the hundred meter dash, did not qualify, but he's got a chance, I guess, in the two hundred. I think tomorrow is when they start, along with Maurice Mitchell, and then. Colleen Quigley, I guess, uh, who obviously had a very decorated career at FSU, has a chance to to make the team in the steeplechase tomorrow as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's kind of all around, which you know really is. I mean, it's a, it's a tradition for uh, for FSU, especially in that track program. They had a a boatload of athletes uh, in the uh, in the 2012 Olympics. We've got more coming this year, and uh, and then you've seen uh, in the uh, in the diving pool, Katrina Young uh, getting a shot with the with the, uh, the national team, the Olympic team, went out and talked to her. Last week, and, and and I would say she's super super excited, and and, and she heads down to uh, Rio at the end of uh, at the end of this month. So, uh, of course, they can be pretty well represented, not, and you know, not just uh, on Team USA either. They're represented both. I was going to uh, say there's uh, a number of kids number that, of uh, with other with other countries. I know there's a female uh, discus uh, athlete. Yeah, did, right. yeah, yeah. For with Jamaica, just made it, and uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty impressive list I, when you start reading it. I, I had a uh, talk to Bob Thomas, who you guys know, sports information director for track and field. And by the way, if he was still a member of the beat, he would have been on the watch list for uh, most likely to make a snarky, wise ass comment, I think, which could but, be, but would be funny, for, but, but would be funny. But he would be on the, he would make the semifinals in that for sure. Anyway, he, he said that this is going to be the biggest list of FSU Olympians from track and field ever. I mean, it's, I think they've, They've probably had eight to twelve at times, but I think they might get to fifteen to seventeen or so. I mean, it's a pretty extensive list. No, it absolutely is, and like you said, it's just it's exciting to see kind of everybody. And and you know, I think when I, when I talked to, to Katrina, I, think I, I want to say it was my first time ever talking to uh, to an Olympian. Of course, she got you know her Team USA shirt on, like you, you definitely would. I, I'd, I'd wear a Team USA shirt every day if I were an Olympian. And it's just a, a cool thing, man. You can kind of see. Just the the, the the tone and and that, I guess the way she carried herself after uh, after qualifying for the Olympics it, it kind of it, it feels like something I know that sounds kind of vague and, and nebulous and maybe a little silly but it just feels significant to to uh, you know have so many uh, athletes that have made the Olympic Games and to you know see them kind of in their preparation and knowing that you know a few weeks time they're going to be on you know literally the biggest stage in the world it's uh, it, it's kind of neat we got some uh, baseball guys that are kind of traveling the world as well with the uh, national team correct. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Taylor Walls uh, is uh, is on the uh, the U.S. Collegiate National Team, and I, I believe uh, Cole Sands uh, was named to that team as well. So that's pretty cool. DJ Stewart is a, is a veteran of that team, and uh, a couple other guys uh, who were also on the, the the U.S. Collegiate Men's National Team. So uh, definitely great experience there. You're talking about you know, pretty much the the best college baseball players uh, in the country uh, that, that are a part of that team. So it's a, you know it's nothing but fantastic experience for for them, and uh, really a nice achievement. Another one for Taylor Walls who. Came on so strong by the end of last season, was named an All-American, and turned into just a really, really nice player uh, after taking a little while to find his footing at, at the collegiate level. Yeah, interesting. He's competing for time at shortstop with Dalton Guthrie from Florida, who's on that team as well. Uh, Cole Sands, by the way, is scheduled to start on Saturday. Uh, uh, they're over in Taiwan right now. I think Cole Sands is supposed to get that start. One other thing I noticed on baseball, we'll let you get going on this. Baseball America did its uh, early eight for Omaha 2017 and uh the Seminoles are on that list I saw that I saw that that was uh my buddy uh he was he was hanging out next to me in the uh the press box in Gainesville at the Super Regional so I had to uh, to chat with him um and we we talked a lot about uh, about college baseball and and just uh sort of the state of the game so we, but anyway so the, it was cool to see uh, uh Teddy Cahill that's his name and so we chatted for a little while and uh, it's cool to see that some recognition and you know honestly uh I don't think it's it's completely out of left field at all. And again, we talked about it, I think a couple weeks ago. When you look at everything that Florida State has coming back between you know all, all those pitchers, Carlton Sands and, and Holton, and then you, you throw in Taylor Walls, you throw in Dylan Busby, you throw in Cal Raleigh, and, and some of those other players, and, and all of a sudden, you know, a, a team that a couple months ago we talked about was sort of bereft of optimism. Now you look at next year and you think, wow, they, they could really have something. Uh, and, and I know, you know, for Florida State baseball fans, especially longtime Florida State baseball fans, it's not something that you haven't heard before, but, but it does feel different than, than last year, and especially you know, the, year, the last couple of years when you go enter season thinking, well, all right, well, they have a couple pieces, but they're going to have to have somebody step up in, in some, you know, in ways that we haven't seen before. Uh, and, uh, and, and while, you know, they usually do, this year is so different that you have so many, I guess, answers to those questions. You know who your catchers are going to be, you know who your pitchers are going to be, you know, who a lot of your infielders and outfielders are going to be. It's, it's, I, I can't remember a time uh, in recent years where that seems to have been the case for Florida State. So uh, it, it's definitely, I think, a welcome difference. And for all the naysayers out there that want to complain about recruiting, 
just remind you, they signed three kids that all went yeah. in the first round and are millionaires now. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, well, t- and then including one uh, in Drew Mendoza, who who could have been a high round draft pick, he'd be a fourth, uh, almost yeah. certainly one, and uh, and and instead just kind of told everybody he was going to college, and and, and now he's here. Yep, so they got him in, and he'll probably play third base for him next year. Tim, appreciate your uh, insight as always. Uh, enjoy the uh, cool temperatures of July in Tallahassee. It's going to be great. Hey, tell, uh, tell Phil I said hey, all right? Uh, we'll send him the best. He, he probably will say the same to you, Tim. <laughs> all right. All right. You. That is our Seminoles.com insider. He's mentioning Phil. Phil is a college football insider slash guru slash He's the man. Analytics slash numbers guy. He's just the man. He's high on FSU this year, too. We'll talk with Phil when we come back. Stay with us on the front row. We don't need no thought control. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We welcome you back to The Front Row. Tom and Keith back with you. It is... uh Counting, uh, inching every ever closer to the start of college football season. 62 and days, I read, somewhere for Florida State's kickoff. Nobody knows more about college football than the gentleman who's going to join us now, Phil Steele. He truly is the guru. Uh, encyclopedia sounds old school. You, you might be the Google of college football at this point. but uh, Phil, well, it, was, we, it was Steele before there was Google as it relates to college football. We appreciate everything you do. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. Hey, it's always a pleasure, guys. Great talking football with you. Your college football 2016 preview edition is out on shelves now, and you can get it uh, via your mobile device as well, which I, that's where mine resides. Uh, you obviously are very bullish on Florida State, and uh, we're in Tallahassee, so we're going to talk a lot about the Seminoles. What is it, uh, and you have, uh, this isn't the eye test in terms of how you put this together. There's a lot of analytics behind it, but what stands out, or how did Florida State uh, finish number one, I guess, uh, and, and number two in your power poll based on your preseason predictions? Yeah, the reason I picked them number one is, uh, well, actually, of course, there's numerous factors. It's the magazine I work on for six months, so it starts at the uh, the end of November all the way through the second day of June when we finally sent the final page to the press. But, you know, last year Florida State was actually the least experienced team in the country. If you looked at my experience chart last year, they were number 128 out of 128. So you expected a little step back, but as it was, the Georgia Tech game with the uh, block field goal for the touchdown, and then the Clemson game, a game they led a good portion of, got stopped on fourth down, trailing by three in the fourth quarter. That was a young team going on the road to Death Valley. Now, this year's Florida State team has 17 returning starters. They only lose 15 lettermen. Give you an example, Clemson loses 28 lettermen off of last year's team. So it's a much more veteran team than they were heading into last year. And when I look at the talent that they have, uh, you know, I think DeAndre Francois is going to give him an upgrade at the QB position. Dalvin Cook's a Heisman contender at running back. The receiving core rates sixth best in the country with Kermit Whitfield, Travis Rudolph. Defensive line, or the offensive line, I should say, my number three rated O-line in the country. And talking to Coach Fisher this spring, uh, there may be some freshmen that are actually beating out some of these uh, highly experienced veterans. On the defense, they have my number six, number nine rated defensive line, number 12 linebackers. And the defensive backs, number 21 in the country, and they're also solid on special teams. So it's a complete team. And the reason I have Bama 1 in the power pole and Florida State 2 in the power pole is the overall talent rankings. Florida State, or Alabama does rate number 1 defensive line, number two, uh, or number 1 linebacker, number 2 DBs. But Florida State's path to getting to the playoffs is a lot clearer than Alabama's. Alabama has the top four teams in the SEC are Alabama, LSU, Tennessee and Ole Miss. Well, Alabama not only has to play each of the other three teams, they have to play them all on the road this year. They also play USC away from home. Meanwhile, when you look at Florida State's road games, they're not easy. Uh, Louisville, South Florida, Miami of Florida, but they pale in comparison to what Alabama has to go through. And then the biggest game of the season, Florida State-Clemson. It is at Florida State. So I think the uh, home field edge, the fact that Florida State's a lot better, a lot more veteran team, than they were heading in last year, all played into part of me picking up number one this year. 
Phil, we know a lot about the analytics, and, and I, for one, have studied your magazine forever uh, doing ball games. Uh, when I was doing the Fox package, I, I carried it around like it was the Florida State media guide, uh, anybody we were playing. The one thing I think our listeners would be interested in knowing is you spent a lot of time, you mentioned talking to Coach Fisher, you you talk to these coaches after putting these things together, and you actually query them and, and almost test them on, on do they agree or disagree, or is there something you're missing? Talk about those conversations with those head coaches. Yeah, my, my conversations with the coaches is a little bit different than most folks' conversations. Uh, basically, I send them my personal pages on each team with 100-some-odd players that they have on, including the walk-ons. And I just ask them to go through every single player with me, give me strengths, weaknesses, make sure I've got the players in the right order. The conversations generally take about an hour. And with Coach Fisher this year, I did not, I was not able to talk to him prior to putting the magazine out. So I was a little uh, apprehensive talking to him after the magazine was out, hoping I would hear what I wanted to hear about the team. And the good news is I did. When I went through the team uh, with Coach Fisher, uh, like what I heard at the, the quarterback, the running backs are deep, receivers are three deep, offensive line is three deep, defensive line three deep, linebackers three deep. Really the thinnest part of the team safety, where they go about two deep with the, uh, the premier players. Uh, but that's a pretty good team throughout. So I'd have to say the conversation was good in that respect. And I don't get to talk to all the coaches because not a lot of coaches afford a full hour of time like that. But uh, I find it very helpful in my preparation of each team. Talk a little bit, too, uh, about uh, you You knew Florida State would be, uh, let's say, out, a little bit out of the picture last year based on who they had lost in the draft and where they had gone in the draft. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you, you look at when, when players are leaving. Yeah, we, there's numerous things to look at with any team. Uh, I do, I've do. i been doing metrics in the magazine for 22 years. Now they're becoming the hot thing. Uh, I look at how a team record last year maybe compared to uh, their the way they played on the field. Uh, Nebraska, for example. Nebraska had five losses in the last second of games, some on the very last play of the games. Basically, if you change one play in five of Nebraska games last year, they're they're not a six and seven team. They're an eleven and two team, and that's just five plays on an entire season away from being eleven and two. So, in a team like that, you get a lot of value. And then, when a team like Florida State, you figure they're going to reload when they lose so much to the NFL, but they weren't quite the Florida State of past years. They you know they they actually lost three games last year, which was shocking. Uh, you know, losing a bowl game, a game where. Uh, McGuire got hurt in the first quarter, of course, and it just seemed like Houston was playing at a stronger tempo. So you always have to look at uh, how close the losses were last year, how big the wins were, and then factor in the experience factor, which is very big, and that's why I have an experience chart in the magazine. Looking at uh, what you predict for the ACC, obviously with FSU number one, you've got Clemson coming in second and then Louisville third in the Atlantic. Over in the Coastal, now we've been waiting for this to happen since Miami joined the ACC, but you think this is the year the Canes win the Coastal? Yeah, and you know, Mark Richt at Georgia was there for 15 years, and they sort of got bored with those 10-win seasons. They wanted national championships. But if uh, Rick could step in here at Miami as alma mater and produce a 10-win season, they'll be pretty happy. And I like the talent level that he inherits. Uh, when I talked to the NFL guys in the spring, uh, Brad Kaya comes up as the number two quarterback for this upcoming year's draft. So I think he's going to have a big year. They're deep at running back. They've got Yearby, Edwards, and Walton. Uh, all three guys are capable of being a feature back. I think Yearby will be the guy. The receiving core maybe lacks a little of that uh, top end speed, but it's still a very it's a veteran unit and solid. The offensive line I rate uh, number 16 in the country, and defensively that's where I think we're going to see the biggest improvement. It's a veteran group. They've got guys up front like Gerald Willis and Alquidin Muhammad at linebacker Trent Harris at cornerback Cornell. There are a lot of guys. Uh, that are going to be stars this year. And then Manny Diaz, the new defensive coordinator. And you hear it from every defense coordinator that takes over a team. They say, well, we're going to be more attacking, more aggressive. Every coordinator says that. But in this case, it's true because Miami Florida's defense last year wasn't that aggressive. I think they'll be a lot more aggressive this year and have got the talent to get it done. When you look at their schedule, they're probably going to be an underdog against Florida State at Notre Dame and maybe at Virginia Tech. But they get North Carolina at home this year. They get Pitt at home. They get Duke at home. And I think Miami of Florida's got that chance of getting the 9 or 10 wins. They're my pick to win the ACC Coastal. You mentioned uh, Kaya's number two in terms of uh, quarterbacks for the draft next year. Is, is Watson number one, or where's Deshaun Watson on that list? Yeah, Watson is number one. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you have a quarterback like Watson that can 
hurts you with the mobility as well as the passing. He doesn't translate well to the NFL, but Watson definitely does. When I talk to the NFL guys, everybody's pretty much got him number one pick in the draft. And I remember last year, the thing with Watson, first half of the year he was coming off an injury. They didn't really run him that much in the first half of the year, and their offense wasn't as explosive. But in the second half of the year when they took the reins off and he felt more comfortable, uh, you saw Watson be dominant. How about 550 yards against Alabama's defense in that championship game? Uh, I've got Deshaun Watson as my pick to win the Heisman and the first player picked in next year's draft. He obviously is a star of the ACC. Uh, is there a team or a, a, a player that you uh, privately have your uh, eye on in the ACC that may surprise some people? As far as a team goes, uh, you know, everybody's talking about Florida State and Clemson, as am I. I. I think that their game is the only one that either one loses all year. Clemson's got the most explosive offense in the country. But Louisville might be one of those sneaky teams out there. They've got 17 returning starters, and much like Florida State, they were a young team last year with only nine starters back. Now they've got 17. And if Lamar Jackson plays like he did in that bowl game, then look out. I thought for most of the part last season, he was an average passer, but he was dynamic both running and passing in the bowl game and really led Louisville to a, a big season. So keep your eyes on Lamar Jackson, firmly implanted as the starter, and we'll see if he makes strides as a sophomore. Who do you have coming out of the SEC? The SEC in the West, I've got it coming down, much like the Florida State-Clemson game. I think that's how the Alabama-LSU game will go. And I'll be honest with you guys, I put a little more emphasis on defense in my magazine. Now, we have been the most accurate one over the last 18 years. I've got Alabama rated the number one defense in the country. I've got LSU rated the number two defense in the country. So very high on both those. LSU gets to host that game. And right now in Vegas, LSU is actually favored in every single one of their games, including a three-point favorite over Alabama. So uh, Vegas is high on LSU as well. And when you look at them, Dave Aranda is their new defensive coordinator. Uh, he takes over more talent than he's ever had to work with in his life. And yet the last three years at Wisconsin, he had the number one rated uh, defense in yards per game over the last three years. He's got nine starters back on that side of the ball. They've got Leonard Fournette, a running back, a couple of NFL caliber receivers, and Trayvon Durell and Malachi Dupree. And they also have my number five rated offensive line in the country. And I think Brandon Harris will show some improvement as a junior after hitting just 53.8% of his passes last year. With Bama, they may be the most talented team in the country, but I touched on earlier, they play a grueling schedule. I think that game decides who wins the West. And in the East, I did go with Tennessee. And Tennessee's a team that, you know, for three years you've heard uh, Butch Jones say, we're young, we're young, we're young. Well, they can't play that card this year because they're my most experienced Power 5 team in the country coming into the season. Number three overall in my experience ratings. 17 returning starters, three potential first-round draft picks on defense, and defensive end Derek Barnett, linebacker Jalen Rees-Maben, and cornerback Cam Sutton. They've got Joshua Dobbs. They've got the Hurd-Kamara combination at running back and a solid offensive line. Uh, I think Tennessee is the team that uh, matches up against either Alabama or LSU in the SEC title game. So when everything comes down to it, who's who's our final four? Who are we looking at at the tail end of the season? You know, I went a little out of the box. I've heard a lot of people uh, opine that uh, you're never going to see two teams from the same conference make the playoffs, but it's the committee's main goal is to put the best four teams into the playoffs. And I think if you put the best four teams in, I can make a case for Clemson because Clemson, like I said, is going to have the most explosive offense in the country, uh, but they just missed out. They're my number five team. I did go with Florida State because they get that big game at home. I think the team that's got the easiest path to make the playoffs is Oklahoma with Baylor's troubles that they went through. I had Baylor back in April, about number eight in my magazine, was able to drop them down to number 20 when uh, Bryles got fired. Uh, I think Oklahoma's got the, the best path to get to the playoffs. So I've got Oklahoma, Florida State, and then I went with two teams from the SEC. Last year, the Pac-12 beat itself up. Stanford didn't make the playoffs. They finished number three in the country. I think this year the Pac-12 beats itself up. And with the Big Ten, I see Ohio State eventually winning the Big Ten this year. But they could take a couple losses early in the year when they're, they are number 128 out of 128 teams experience-wise this year. They may lose a couple games early and then be strong down the stretch. So I went with two teams from the SEC. That's my number one and number two rated defenses, Alabama and LSU, to both make the playoffs. 
Well, there you have it. You uh, you truly are a, an encyclopedia of knowledge on college football. I know you've got probably 64 more radio shows to do today, so tell us how to get your magazine, and uh, and thanks again for your insight, Phil. Well, I appreciate that, guys. The uh, magazine is out there. It's at Walmart, Walgreens, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Target, CVS, Publix. And all I ask your listeners to do is just open up a copy and compare it to every other magazine on that newsstand. You'll see three to four times the amount of information. We give you two full pages on a team like Florida Atlantic, same amount of coverage we give you on an Oklahoma, USC, or Florida State. You can also, as uh, Tom mentioned, get it on your iPad or iPhone through the Apple Store or on the Android device through Google Play. And you can follow me on Twitter, at PhilSteel042. That's at PhilSteel042. I understand that Keith here is not on Twitter. Is that correct, Keith? That is correct. Uh, you know what? Uh, Twitter I find invaluable. I follow coaches and members of the media, and it's almost like having their emails there, and you're, you're able to just uh, to chat with them whenever you want if you follow each other. So you might look into that, Keith. I need to look into it, although I, I need to make one suggestion for you and your magazine. Can you come out with a large print edition for some of us <laughs> older guys? <laughs> That's where the iPad and iPhone come in. There you go. You can blow that stuff up, and, and it gets it easier to read. But that's that's a great request, Keith. I appreciate that. Hey, and Phil, as soon as we go to break here, Keith's going to pull out his stationery, and he's going to pen a nice thank you note to you. And we'll get it in about 10 days. I'll have Bill Snyder of Kansas State. Uh, exactly. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for what you do to uh, – to promote college football sports. You're the best, so Phil. You're Thank the you, best. Phil. Hey, thanks, guys. A lot of fun talking football with you tonight. All righty. And, uh, you know, he does shows all over, but uh, there's only so many shows that are here in this town where Florida State, uh, obviously, is his pick is number one. So there's a lot to react to there. Uh, and I guess we'll do it after we come back. I'm trying to think <laughs> where to start. Let's react when we come back, KJ. This is the front row. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, we're back on The Front Row, and uh, as promised, there is a lot to react to, Tom and Keith. And uh, if you're listening to this show, you probably are aware of who Phil Steele is and probably have his magazine or get it on a regular basis. Um, if you had it's ne- just an encyclopedia. If Let's you had never heard that. of him before, you now have to be impressed with uh, just how much knowledge he has. Uh, in preparation for this interview, I just Googled his name and came across a story that talked a little bit about his work ethic, and then we'll get into what he talked to. So the other morning, I'll just read the first paragraph here. Phil Steele woke up at 4.45 a.m. inside his sprawling home in suburban Cleveland, as he does nearly every single day of the year. He climbed on an exercise bike at 5, and then he turned on a broadcast of last year's football game between Cal and San Diego State. It was not a particularly good game. The final score was 35-7, to and it was not a contest with much lasting impact. But that's hardly the point. It's the minutia that matters a preoccupation with the fine print of a sport that tends to lend itself to obsessiveness, blah, blah, blah. And it goes, so anyway, that's how he starts his day. And uh, he's tuning his own horn as he should when he points out that he's been the most accurate of the preseason magazines over the years. Uh, he also does a nice job of waiting as late as possible to put his magazine out uh, because truthfully, I won't name names, but some of them probably have their 2017 preview editions about ready to, to, to hit print on, you know, even though we haven't played this season. Well, he, and he mentioned uh, Baylor, the situation in Baylor. He, he, you pick up his magazine, he's got Jim Grobe, right. the head coach right. of Baylor. That's what I mean. He waits about as late as you can for this. All right, so let's go back. Uh, the experience thing is something Jeff Cameron has talked about, uh, and it's obviously a valid point. Uh, it becomes, to me, it it's like it's bolded in large print when you hear him state that last year FSU was 128th out of 128 teams in experience. And this year Ohio State is in that that category. And FSU, while they're not at the top, they're I think 49th or something like that. So it's a huge jump up. But even thinking back to last year, obviously we knew Florida State was young. Uh, in essence, he's saying they were the youngest, least experienced team <laughs> in the country. Correct. And, and that gets reflected, and I mentioned this in, in my conversation with him, about the the analytics system he uses to give points for draft picks and where they're drafted, first-round pick versus a seventh-round pick. And, and going into the 2015 season, after that 2014 draft, Florida State was the most penalized, talented team right. in terms of that analytic uh, because of all the not only the kids they had lost, but where they went in the draft and and, and the people they had behind them, <laughs> I think there's nine 
Uh, we should ask him this. I think there's nine major categories in his magazines, the power ranking and that type of thing. But one of them is um, the kids that you lost and, and the kids that are starting now and, and how that numerically works out. Well, it works out well for Florida State. He's got him number one. And again, that's how he predicts him to finish. Uh, we think of it as a preseason poll. He's really predicting how the season is going to end there. And so he's got – well, first of all, he also – he pointed out the experience, and it was a little bit, uh, maybe not startling, but when you think about all that Clemson lost, 28 compared to 15, I think, was the number of what Clemson lost. You can see why you make the case for Florida State with them being at home this year. He mentions Deshaun Watson is the Heisman winner and the number one pick in next year's draft. So if that happens, that's two out of four years that the ACC's had the top pick in the draft and the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, which is to suggest, not that the ACC is the SEC, but... Uh, the the landscape has changed a little bit here even though Alabama won the championship last year I, I, I don't, the ACC has gotten better or had some more elite teams FSU being one of them the college football playoff has sort of opened the door and even though he's got two SEC teams in his final four this year that changes perceptions a little bit if that happens well and certainly you're going to hear some uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth from the Pac-12 and uh, Pac-10 and the Big Ten and the Big Eight and the Big Six and whatever they're calling themselves now <laughs> uh, because it, you know, it's going to be difficult for two teams from the same conference to get in. But as he mentioned, using his words, I think he, Phil, can make a very good case as to why Alabama and LSU may be there. You know, obviously, given the fact one of them will have at least one loss because they play each other. Uh, and then uh, I, I, I just like to see it happen. Uh, he had Clemson number five. They're just on the outside looking in. So all that's going to be interesting when we get down to November. So what if, say, LSU for the sake of my wife who doesn't listen anyway. But say LSU beats Bama, wins the SEC, but stumbled somewhere else. Uh, what you know? I mean, if one of those teams stumbles one more time than he's predicted, then you're looking at Clemson and FSU as two, which I don't think there's anybody that when the playoffs started would have even considered the fact that the ACC maybe could get two teams in. But if they were going to do it, this would be the year to do it. I think what we've seen out of the committee – uh, many of us upset with what we've seen out of the committee at certain times is that they are certainly not bound by any rigid rules. Uh, and I think you may even see a situation uh, where a, a one-loss team or a two-loss team uh, is more highly favored than a, than an undefeated team from one of the quote unquote lesser conferences, i.e., uh, you know the, the the West Coast or the mid, middle part of the state. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's just going to be interesting. FSU Miami in Charlotte the first Saturday in December. That would be interesting if it came to fruition. Uh, a repeat of a of a game. You don't like repeats, but uh, that would be one that uh, you could live with. Yeah, well, obviously, when you're in divisional play, that potential exists. That one doesn't bother me as much. Really, you're going you're gonna to sidetrack us and go down that road? No. Okay, good. Then I won't go down that road Thank either. You. That, that predates even the BCS and some of the previous bowl doings, if you will. Uh, Brad Kaya, very talented. That's going to be a tough game. It sounds obvious. It's FSU-Miami. But now you're at Miami. And you got a very good quarterback in Brad Kaya. Well, that, remember, that's a, that's a and big it's been a long task. time since Miami has had a head coach that was quarterback oriented. Uh, in other words, you know, uh, Mark was was the offense coordinator and the quarterbacks coach at Florida State. I know he's been 15 years at Georgia, but his bent is because he played quarterback, spends a little more time with quarterbacks, just like uh, Jimbo does. Uh, Kaya will will reap the benefit of that that institutional knowledge and that skill set that Mark will bring to the table, uh, and and he's got all the physical tools. We've known that. Um, since the first time he ever set foot uh, on the field. I'm looking at Phil's all-ACC picks this year. So on the offense, he's got five Clemson Tigers, first team, all-ACC. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Mike Williams, the tight end, uh, Jordan Leggett, and then two offensive linemen. For Florida State, he's got three. He's got Dalvin Cook, Travis Rudolph, and Roderick Johnson. So eight out of your 11 are FSU and Clemson on offense. On uh, defense, he's got three Seminoles there. They'd be the three that you would uh, – pick i would think uh, well i'll let you who would the three be from florida state's defense well uh you'd, you'd uh uh derwin yep walker yep uh i don't know who the third one marquez white at corner is who he's got as the third marquez really yeah. really yeah so that's who he's got there so just but and, and then he's got uh steven gabbard as first team all acc long snapper not that the acc officially awards that but uh but but really when you look at it i mean uh what Florida State has, I think, and I'm just glancing at this more than other teams, is you know they've got 
two or three guys on the second team and on the third team, uh, offense, defense, that sort of thing. So that's Derek Noddy. He's got his second time second team defense. Kareem R. First team. I mean, second team offense. Kermit Whitfield, third team. I'm just looking at this. So it'd be interesting to see the way it uh, it, it plays out, obviously. But just talking to Phil uh, gets me ready for college football. He, he is unbelievable in his knowledge and the breadth of his knowledge. We could have asked him about San Diego State and UCLA, and he would have rattled off the same types of information. He, you know, he said he talks to all the coaches, and he asked them to comment on 100 players. I mean, I can just tell you that when TV crews prepare for a game and meet with the coordinators, they're not asking about the walk-ons. No, we're going first team only and, and maybe and key backup. about guys that yeah. aren't even on scholarship. I mean, that's how thorough his, uh, his knowledge is. Anyway, folks, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was good stuff. How about your fact of the week? What's my? Well, we got to do that. We'll do that next segment. Don't okay. don't spill it here. Okay. Don't spill it here. I'm sorry. It's a tease. I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry. The fact of the week is coming up here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple of minutes left to wrap up since we had Phil Steele kind enough to join us today. We might as well uh, tout some of his stats. He talked about the experience chart for Florida State. The Seminoles are 49th this year. After being 128 the year prior. Out of 128. So 49th is is a big improvement. Who's number one in the country uh, as we take a look at the stat of the week here, Keith? Well, is, it, is, is it fact of the week or are you going to make me do stat well, of the, the week? Well, the fact of the week is that we shouldn't have called it fact of the week. It should have been called stat of the week. So go because ahead. Because not all stats are factual. At all. Will you just answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> just answer the question. I even gave you the answer. This is the part we rehearsed. I gave you the answer because it's not somebody you would have known. Number one in the country in experience is Kent State. Correct? Yep. And number two is Charlotte. And number two is Charlotte. Here's Which I didn't even know Charlotte was playing football again. So. Yeah, there you go. Here's what's of note, though, from a Florida State standpoint. Key, key opponents. Ole Miss is number 100 on that list. Florida is 103. On that list, Clemson is dead last in the ACC at 101 on the experience chart. Now, that's the good news for FSU. The bad news would be that a couple of key road games, Louisville is 14th nationally in the experience chart, and Miami is 24th. Actually, Syracuse is 28th. So Pitt was up there, too, weren't they? Pitt was up there, too, although he doesn't have Pitt going to the ACC championship game. He's got the Canes doing it this year. We'll see. Anyway, there's your, there's your stat of, stats of the week. I'll throw one more in. Oh. Should FSU and Miami play twice this year, and FSU win both, the all-time series will finally be tied between Florida State and Miami. How about that? And Jimbo, if both wins, would, he would be still, eight no. Yeah, he would still be unblemished in that. Eight, right. no. How he's, about that? He's Keith. I'm Tom. Well, we're still babbling, and Tom Lang saying, and my chair shut up is already. Still so we too will. short. My chair is too short. Yeah, we'll do that. And I don't like the speedo either. We'll do the front row again next week. So long, everybody. Yeah.